All right. We are in a series called Witnesses. And the thesis behind the series is pretty simple. If, okay, we just came through Easter. If Jesus really did die on a cross, go into a tomb, and rise again, which, by the way, we unapologetically, unashamedly believe and proclaim at Redeemer City Church. Amen? Amen. That's right. Because the evidence is crystal clear, abundantly clear. Um, If you are here today in willful ignorance, we pray that the Holy Spirit would just knock those walls down and that you become adopted into the family of God and uh, that we could celebrate that. The Bible says that the angels throw a party in heaven when somebody gives their life to Christ. And so uh, we like to throw lots of parties and uh, invite you into that. But if that's true, it changes everything. At least it should. If Jesus Christ is alive, it changes everything because every other religion in the world says you rise to God, but Christianity differs in the fact that God looked at you and saw you where you were and He came to you. That's the difference. And that's why we believe what we believe. That's why we believe good news here. Because even though the bad news is is that you aren't good, you have a God that's good, that came to rescue you. And so if that is true, and we know that it is, it changes who we are, it changes what we do, it changes everything. And so last week we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, where it says that the people were scattered, okay? Great persecution comes to the city of Jerusalem and to those first Christians and those first apostles And uh, what we typically think of in church is that the pastors come and do ministry in the four walls of a church building. But what the Bible teaches is that the apostles reached these first few believers, and the Bible says thousands were being added to the church, and then God sends or allows great persecution to come. And you might think, well, that's mean, God, but it's really not, because what we talked about is that the church always thrives under persecution. Because persecution keeps us from getting comfortable. We're moving into the land of intellectual persecution these days. And uh, that, that you would really believe something like that. And we would say, yeah, yeah, we do. But so as persecution comes into the church and people are being killed for their faith, Stephen, the first martyr, is stoned. Saul's approving of his execution. This is before he gets saved. The Bible says that the people scattered and God began to spread the message of the gospel. And so last week we looked at the fact that as God sent the word out that what the people did is they went to wherever they could and it was really simple. It says they preached the word. I'm not the only guy who preaches the word. You are. God has called you to be, as we'll see today, put your name, the evangelist. Today we're going to look at Philip, the evangelist, and look at two results, really, of what happens when you go on mission for God. When, when a church gathers and then scatters to do what God's called you to do, the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of every nation. When you go do that, there are things that happen because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes on you with 
power. And so what we're going to look at today is two case studies of what happens when you go do what God has called you to do. There are more case studies than this. These are not the only things that can happen. All right? Uh, there are times in Scripture where people go share their faith and they get killed for it. Okay, so just full disclosure today that this is not a end-all, be-all of what can happen. But here's two examples. Um, and uh, what it is is two sides of one coin. You as a believer of Jesus Christ have to look at this and say, am I, which one of these two people am I? Which one of these two people am I? Where does my faith fall? Because one uh, guy is going to believe, but he's going to believe fake. And then there's going to be another guy who's going to believe and it's going to be genuine. And so there's a warning for each of us that have to look at that and say, who am I? Where does my faith rest? And we'll see that. But then as an evangelist, as a witness that you have been called to be, when you share the gospel, there, the, the first story is fascinating because true conversion results in change. True conversion results in change. Running rampant in the church for years and years and years was this idea that you could just say a prayer and God would let you into heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach if you confess the Lord as Savior, then you will be let into heaven. But what does it imply to confess someone as Lord? That they become naturally the Lord, right? So these are important things, but I want to take you into the book of Acts and uh, at the beginning here at verse um, 9. But be, before we get there, I want to ask you a question that kind of sets up your approach to this story. How do you approach the Bible? How do you approach the Bible? Because what we're about to read is literal history. It really happened. There are both biblical sources, but there's extra biblical sources that point to these people. And I'll share what some of those say today. But uh, we're looking at history. You can look at history in one of two ways. As a scholar, for information, or as a soldier, for transformation. You see, because they look at history in two different ways. A scholar looks at history and says, oh, well, these are interesting things that happen. A soldier looks at it and says, well, these interesting things that happen can help me win. And there's a huge difference. And so Timothy, uh, in a letter from Paul in the New Testament, uh, Paul gives him this exhortation, teach people to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Not that we would go kill a bunch of people, okay? Not that kind of soldier, but ones that would look at what all that God has done and believe that he wants to do it again. Because he promised to. Jesus came to Peter, uh, wacko Peter, and said, upon you I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And here we are, some 2,000 years later. So with that in mind, I want you to go to uh, Acts chapter 8 with me and listen to this story. We'll read the first part of it and then uh, we'll talk about it and then we'll go to the second one. But this first one here. So, so they're out preaching the gospel. This is Philip. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and 
amazed people. Somebody say amazed. Amazed the people of Samaria. Remember, it was fascinating that they were even in Samaria because Jews would never go to Samaria, okay? Because they hated Samaritans. But when persecution comes, you'll go to the place that isn't persecuting you. And so God, in His grace, one of the first places He sends His church is into the place that they didn't want to go. There's uh, things for us to learn there. That God would send us to the places that we're unsure of, the places that we haven't gone. Uh, We are in this place today uh, because we weren't sure about it. And God put us here. So here's Philip meeting with Simon. But listen to this. It says that Simon, saying that he himself was somebody great, And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had, I'm saying it again, amazed them with his magic. You're going to see a pattern here. Amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached what? This is participatory. Good news. Good news as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now listen to this. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was what? Amazed. It's going to be important. Anytime the Bible continues to repeat something, we need to start paying attention because there's something for us to learn. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And then a curious thing happens. This is, this is not good uh, PR for the church. Okay, like we, we live in the land of church as small business, church as big business, church as uh, get your Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter buttoned up. Let's put a good foot forward. Let's put a good face forward. We're good news people. And Philip's here preaching good news. And people are believing and getting saved. And people are converting. And then these apostles come and look what they say. Remember, Philip just believed and was baptized. Okay, are you tracking with me? Because what's about to happen, you'd probably fire me if I did this. Okay? Dude, that guy just got saved and baptized. But look at what they say. And there's something for us to learn here. Verse 20. So he offers them money. Give me this power so that anyone whom I lay my hands can receive spirit. Then verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. 
For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. What happened? Think about that. So here's Philip. He preaches in one place. Crowds of people get saved. He goes to the next city, preaches, what's the Bible say? He preached what? It's on our wall. You can't get it wrong. Good news, right? He preaches good news. Tons of people get saved. Even the guy who was the false prophet believes and is baptized. What a revival, right? But then the leaders of the church, the elders of the church come and they rebuke this guy. So the guy that was the least likely to get saved, they believed have gotten saved and the truth is he was never really saved. Let me, let me draw it a little bit closer. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Do I have that one on the screen for him? Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Then listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, you will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What happened with Simon Magus? I mentioned earlier that... uh, Church history speaks of the story we're going to read today. Uh, Church historians, early church fathers, guys who lived in like the next generation after the original apostles, who would have uh, been around and known and seen and had original copies of the manuscripts of the New Testament, uh, record that Simon Magus was actually one of the founders of Gnosticism. And so... Here we have a guy who was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And why that's so significant is because what was he able to do to the church in this city? What's the word that we repeated multiple times that the scripture wanted us to make sure that we understood was happening over and over and over? That as Simon, this false prophet comes, what was he able to get the people to be? Amazed. Amazed. My first question for you today is what amazes you? What amazes you? What what kind of a church are you looking for? If you're looking for the perfect church, you are in the wrong spot. 
because we're not perfect. We aren't. There's some things we forget. There's some things we're working on. Some things we need to do better. But but here's what we believe here is that what you need is the Word of God. You don't need to be amazed by our lights. You don't need to be amazed by our music. You don't need to be amazed. I mean, the preaching's just okay. So... But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But how many of us are really acting like that? Really living like that? How many of us are reaping the harvest that God has brought? Are we here just to be amazed? It's a great temptation in the church today, in the church in America, to just come and be amazed. In our, in our culture, we call it being entertained. Simon, too, saw what the apostles were doing in laying hands on people and seeing the Spirit come into their life and transform them to be new people. The Bible says, the old is gone, the new has come. These, these people were experiencing radical life change, being baptized and given the Holy Spirit and people are getting saved and Simon sees this and goes, man, I can add that to my arsenal. Right? Because what, what happened in Matthew when Jesus says that people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And I'll say to you, I never knew you. An important thing for us as Christians to come to is a realization that... Uh, we don't need to be amazed by anything but the love of Jesus. Amen. That if you want a light show, you find a much better one than ours. These were cheap on Amazon. All right? <laughs> we like lights. We like some of the ones that move someday. But at the end of the day, why does Jesus build his church? Because the Bible says that he came to seek and save the lost. And so here's Simon Magus, Simon the Magician. I keep calling him Magus because that's what church history calls him. And it just means Simon the Magician. But he comes here and, you know, I wrote in the margin of my Bible that people come, people get excited, and then some people will leave. Because they simply were not amazed anymore. We've been, we've been talking about, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to be preaching on church membership. We're going to be rolling out our first round of church membership here at Redeemer City Church. We've been here for a year. We feel like we've got handles on our neighborhood and all the things that God is doing here, and he's been abundantly good and abundantly amazing, and so we're going to uh, put handles on church membership here for you. Uh, but as we think about that, what does that require? What What is church membership? It, it isn't just signing a paper. It's giving your life to the thing that God is building. And it's sacrificial, and it's covenantal, and uh, it's not for our amazement. And so it's interesting here that what we typically get excited about in the church, and rightfully so, the angels throw a party, we should. That within that, there's an important caveat for us to understand that you can confess Jesus 
and never be converted. You can say, Lord, Lord. You can even come and clean the bathrooms like Pastor Jake was talking about and never really know Jesus and just be amazed. Some who say they're saved aren't. We have to examine ourselves. It's a scary passage, isn't it? For any of us that are serious about our walk with God, it's heavy. So we have to examine what our motives are. Where where is my heart in that? And then also an important part for your prayer life is that God the Holy Spirit won't be controlled. God the Holy Spirit, it's not an if-then relationship, right? He won't be controlled. Have you been amazed or have you believed? Simon had just been amazed and his intentions were false and his intentions were for himself. But then as we come to verse 26, we get the flip side of that. We, we get true conversion. We get real faith. And so there's, there's a message here for you if you are not a follower of Jesus in that uh, God is going to great lengths, we've seen to this portion in Acts, for crowds. God loves crowds. We're trying to build our church. God loves numbers. He has a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. Okay? Uh, if you needed help with that. However, let's also recognize in this story, those of you who are evangelists, witnesses for Christ, that God will go to great lengths for one. That he will sometimes go to great lengths for the crowd, but he will also go to great lengths for one. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're wondering why you're sitting in here today, it's because God will go to great lengths for you. Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord. Now that's cool, right? I mean, anytime an angel shows up, we should pay attention. Now an angel of the Lord, I'm not sure how you discern if it's an angel or not, though. Right? Said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. In other words, leave revival... And go to the desert. What are the chances that you find a giant crowd ready for revival in the desert? Very small. Very small. But look what happens in verse 27. Philip rose and went. Can I stop there for a second? Others need you to obey God's call. Others need you to obey God's call. And and here's the reality. Jesus told the disciples, look up. The fields are white ripe unto harvest just look up what is your and i greatest problem when we walk out of here and wake up monday morning i'm looking in right you should say right because i i know you you just like me you wake up on monday right when we could wake up and say what the fields are white on harvest would that not change your job what if you went to work not going, oh, I've got to do this again, but who, who's here for me? Who's here for me? 
would that not change why you go to work every day? It would. It would. It could. So look what happens. Philip rises and goes. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Now guys, you've got to really want the job if you're going to be a eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? Okay, let, let me, if you don't know, you should know. Because this story, you know, we've got mad respect for this Ethiopian. Alright, what happens is, uh, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia at the time, um, she had a husband who was very powerful. And uh, one of the things that was uh, great about the queen, if you were the king, is that you could pick from the whole nation. So chances are, by the world standard, she was pretty perfect. She was beautiful. She was the queen. And so she needed a CEO. Somebody to handle the money, handle the uh, business side of things so that she could just be the queen and high roll and all that stuff you would typically think about. And so the king comes along and says to himself, huh, somebody that was qualified for that job, he's going to want my wife. And so in the job description, in the fine print, right, you get like the fun part of the job description, like, like roll in the Escalade with the queen, you know, have your own Escalade, you have servants, you get to eat whatever you want, and uh, all these wonderful things. And then in the fine print down here, it says, must be a eunuch. What is a eunuch? You were castrated. Why were you castrated? If you don't know what that is, don't Google it. Ask your mom. All right? Okay? Google Images is not friendly. Okay? So, you get castrated. Why? So you couldn't sleep with the king's wife. So that you could be trusted to handle all of the queen's affairs. Okay? So, uh, you have to really want the job. Okay? To rise in that rank. But all that to say is, here, here's a powerful guy. Here's a powerful guy. And I want you to notice that God goes to great lengths for one guy. Sometimes the greatest influence you have is not what you are able to do, but who you reach and what they are able to do. Okay, because Philip's going to come along and Philip, yeah, he's seen some crowds get saved, but Philip's not going to change the world. Philip's not going to change an entire country by himself. But what if you reached for Christ, the guy who could change an entire country, the guy who knows the queen? Could that change the world? Some of you, your kids, you stay-at-home mom, some of you, the greatest influence you have is on your kid who can go change the world. There's power in the gospel. Let's look at this here. So here's this Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, let's just get out of the way the obvious. Okay, most of the time you and I don't roll into places, and there is somebody with their Bible open saying, why can I not find anyone to read the scriptures to me and explain them? Okay, the last time I was at Starbucks... Um, they asked me what my tattoo meant, and I said it means it is finished. It's what Jesus said on the cross. I'm like, oh, that's nice. It's like, it's better than nice. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't yell at him. I didn't yell at him. I'm a nice guy, really. <laughs> so, granted, I get it. Not everybody's doing that. All right, but but listen to this. He was searching. He was searching. 
And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. We've had that experience, haven't we? You and I have been places and the Holy Spirit has said to you, go talk to that person. What if we would just go talk to that person? But what would God want to do? I love Philip's response here. Check this out. Philip didn't just go over there. Philip didn't like go get his coffee first. Yes, I'd like a latte. <laughs> Heavy on the milk because my stomach's churning because I'm nervous, right? Like he didn't do that, right? What did he do? Look at this. This is important. The Bible doesn't mince any words. They're there for a reason. Look at what it says. So Philip, what? Ran to him. How awesome is that? Philip ran to him. You shouldn't run across Starbucks though. That'd be weird. And heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Sometimes God sends you to great lengths for one person. God may move you or has moved you here for one person. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then listen to verse 35. I want you to notice that God uses people to save people. God uses people to save people. Look at what he does. Then Philip opened his mouth. Opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told to him the good news about Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that it's all about Jesus. Everything. John 15:5 says that you can do nothing apart from Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotosis, and as he passed through, he did what? You get it yet? You following this? He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And then things go really downhill in chapter 9 more persecution think about this though you've got Philip in one place crowds are getting saved and Simon is rebuked and called a false prophet and we're given this picture of what utterly false salvation utterly false faith is but then you come on the other side what was the difference for Simon and the eunuch what was the difference really important for us to gather that as a human first where is my faith but then also as a witness what are what are we seeing you see because 
One of the things that's important for you is to be discerning about, okay, so he's, we're talking about harvest, right? What, when is the apple ripe? When is the apple ripe? Uh, some of you grew up in the Northwest, and you, are, you can't even live there if you don't like apples, I think. And, uh, you know, do you, do you go grab a tiny green apple? I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. We had these little things called crab apples. And, uh, like, if you go grab that, what, what are you going to taste when you bite the crab apple? Ugh, terrible, right? What, what did, he, what did uh, the disciples say to Simon Magus? What has taken over his heart? Bitterness. Bitterness. But he seemed so happy. He was still looking out for himself. And, and what did it say about the um, eunuch? He just immediately was rejoicing in Jesus. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you rejoicing in Jesus today? It said when Philip went to the crowds that it brought great joy to the city. Has Jesus brought great joy to your life? Is he your highest treasure? Amen. You see, because if you're, if you're still seeking treasure, God loves you too much to give it to you. You see, because God always shares his grace, but he never shares his glory. And if you get too much glory, you see, Simon, Simon was seeking glory, not grace. Simon didn't think he needed grace. Simon wanted to be able to do the amazing. He wanted to be able to do the cool stuff. He wanted to have the power. And the apostle said, oh man, you are in one of the most dangerous places you could possibly be. The gospel is all about Jesus. And so, as I close and as the band comes up, I, I just I want us to go back to that question about which side of the coin are you on? Are you amazed or are you saved? If you don't even know why you need to be saved, <laughs> you're not saved. The gospel is good news because what it does is it takes you and puts you in your rightful place a sinner in need of a Savior. When we stand before God, we are all on even playing field. No matter how much money you make, doesn't matter what color your skin is, none of that matters. What matters is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? See, because God stepped out of heaven and came to earth to live the life you couldn't live, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty that you couldn't pay. He lived a sinless life and then died on a cross so that you could have eternal life, so that you could have a relationship with God. The Bible says He became the propitiation for your sins. He paid your penalty, He paid your fee so that you could be made right with God. But the beauty of that is not only can you be saved, but God saves you into His family. Into His family. To be adopted into His family. To enjoy all the rights and privileges 
as one of his sons and daughters. It also says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And so I want to invite you today, if you don't know Christ, you could be coming to church for 40 years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, or for 10 minutes. Maybe today you rolled in here and you thought you knew Christ, but you just realized today that you've been searching something else. You've been searching for your own good. If you're a teenager or a preteen, let me encourage you to examine your heart. Because the Bible's clear that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is Lord. And so I'm going to pray, and I just want to invite you, if you don't know Christ, to surrender your life to Him. The Bible says there's no magic prayer. It just says that if you confess Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple, but it's that hard. Because He'll be Lord. So let's pray together. God, I'm grateful for Your Word. I'm thankful for uh, Your honesty in Your Word. Father, I pray for everybody in this room, for anyone watching online or anyone that will listen later, that as we examine our heart, that, Holy Spirit, you would be faithful to show us where we are. Father, I pray for those in this room that know you, that we would get serious about being a witness, that we would lift our eyes and see the harvest that is ripe and that we would be faithful evangelists just like Philip was, that we would run to the opportunities that you've given to us. And then God, I pray for the one or two or whoever in this room that you are going to great lengths for. I pray that they would examine their heart and Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate their understanding that you are God alone and that you are searching and rescuing them. If that's you today and you want to give your life to Christ, it's pretty simple. You could say something simple like this, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and that I need a Savior and I invite you to be Lord of my life. I confess you as Lord. If you did that today, we would love to celebrate that with you. We would love to give you a Bible. We would love to connect you with somebody who uh, can disciple you. That's the goal, to make disciples. And so uh, we would love to be a part of that process with you. Uh, I'm not going to make you do anything weird. I'm not going to make you walk the aisle or anything like that. But if you would do me the favor while everybody else is got their eyes closed and is praying for you. The people that know Jesus are praying for you right now that you would surrender your life to Christ. That you would make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Would you do us the favor of just lifting your hand? I'm not going to make you do anything. I just want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand and let us know that you have surrendered your life to Christ? Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll worship God for a few more minutes and then we'll go. 
Father, I pray for those that lifted their hands today. Father, that you have brought clarity and understanding to your word. Father, we celebrate with the angels that they have passed from death to life. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as they take their next step, as all of us today take our next step, that you would lead us. And that you would do what only you can do. That you would use these people to save people. Not because we bring anything to the table, but because you chose to use us to be your conduit of grace. That we would open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. We're so grateful for who you are and for what you've done. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.